Previously on the Mike Novak Show. The question I'm going to ask Rick DeMaio is, how come we never get the good snowstorms? <laughs> they always pass us by. You know, Kentucky gets more snow. They get better snowstorms than we do. I don't get it. We're Chicago. We're supposed to be uh, in in the winter place, the cold place. I don't get it. Anyway, Climate change. Climate uh, uh, we never got the good. We got one good storm, and that was 78. First year I moved here, we get the, the, this great storm, and I thought, cool. I like Chicago. This is great. Didn't happen again, really. Wait a minute. We had this huge snowstorm last week and an earthquake. It's all your fault. You're evil. Evil. from the beautiful Showcase Studios on South Pulaski Road, just across the street from the 53A bus stop, and in between Paco's Tacos and Zaka Tacos, it's The Mike Novak Show, Chicago's only locally broadcast green, gardening, and environment program. Heard every Sunday right here on Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour of the Mike Novak Show is brought to you by Sid's Greenhouses, Chicagoland's premier garden centers. And by the care of trees, our businesses, people, and their love for trees. And by WRD Environmental, creating sustainable landscapes since 1997. Podcasts of this program, along with green tips, valuable links, and DeMaio weather, are a click away at MikeNovak.net. That's M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Now here's the man who's redefining green, which means that he's busy working on the Wikipedia entry, Mike Novak. Actually, I'm trying to log in, which is what I try to do here. We got so many things to log in today. Let's see. There's the WCPT820.com login. Uh, what's my password? Uh, I'll just give it away. Nobody cares. Uh, and, and I put, uh, Heather in charge of, uh, Twitter today. So all you folks uh, out there who want to tweet, tweet into the show, you're welcome to do it. Now, see, there you go. You can the pop. She's already on the Twitter thing. Uh, so, uh, my handle is, uh, at Mike now. M-I-K-E-N-O-W. Of course, if you want to write to me, uh, well, don't, I've got so many different websites. I, there's a, you're, you're a very and, reachable person, Mr. Yeah, Novak. well, except that they write to the one I always, you know, the, the, the easiest one to find. I'm not online for that one, which is, uh, but I'll just give you the one you can reach me at. Mike at WCP, no, wait, is it, uh, yeah, Mike at WCPT820.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you can you can write there. Uh, or you can tweet, or you can go to Facebook. Or your own website. Or go to Heather's Facebook. But yeah. you know, Now, i got to put my Facebook uh, information up on there, too, 
for you because you need to have my account. So I'm going to have to log in on my account because I know you got your account, but right. nobody can, you know. I actually have more friends than you on Facebook. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You've been doing this since since the, since it's the, like a, a little over a year. Since dinosaurs were on the but earth, pretty much, yeah. And it, it became a, a it's like heroin. I'm totally addicted. It, <laughs> it's it's not supposed to be a comp. It's supposed to be quality, not I know. quantity. Exactly. Okay, Missy. Right. By the way, happy birthday. Oh, thanks. You had your big, big birthday, and of course, as we noted. Uh, at the beginning of the show, there was a, uh, an earthquake on your birthday. Yes, so what does was. that say? And a snowstorm. Yes. Which I and which I begged for on the show last week. I, I said, please, blame you. You are evil. Us, I am evil. <laughs> give us a snowstorm, and it happened. It did on uh, my birthday. Yeah. I love the idea that I can ask for this to happen, and it happens. The funny thing was about the earthquake. People were, you know, I didn't hear about it right away. I didn't wake up for it. I would, you know, went to work and, and I listened to my own music in the car on the way to work and. Uh, I got to work and everyone's like, wow, even Mother Nature knew you like to rock and roll on your birthday. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, oh, there was an earthquake. I was like, oh. That's a way to remember your birthday. It was. Uh, we got a lot of stuff on the show today. Um, way too much. In fact, uh, Heather's going to get right on that now and get some of our people on, on the line because uh, we're following up some of the stories. Well, one of the stories we did last week, which was the the city health inspectors coming in to... Um, a place called uh, Kitchen Chicago, which is a shared-use kitchen. They have, uh, they're fully equipped. It, uh, it's a commercially licensed facility, and they allow smaller businesses to come in and prepare food. Well, the, the, we got involved in a licensing snafu. It wasn't even a quality issue. It was a licensing snafu. And various city departments are involved in this. And really, it's it's what we call Byzantine. Uh, it's really hard to figure out. Honest to God, you know, we talked about it for 15 minutes last week, and I realized that there's not nearly enough time to, to do that. So um, I'm bringing back Monica Eng today to talk about it, along with Martha Boyd from Angel. Uh, Monica Eng, by the way, is a Chicago Tribune reporter. Martha Boyd, um, Angelic Organics Learning Center, and Alexis Leverenz, who's the co-founder and owner of Kitchen Chicago. The, um, it goes on. The story is uh, continuing this week. And um, we're going to talk about that in just a second. In the second hour, I'm going to talk to Garth Conrad, who's the president of the Midwest Ecological Landscaping Association, and they're having a great conference um, coming up. A week from Thursday on the 25th, and they're in organization, and in full disclosure, I have to say I'm one of the co-founders, but they're doing quite well uh, with me kind of watching from the sidelines. Thank you very much. Um, and they're going to be uh, doing a conference that revolves around something called the um, Sustainability, okay, SSI, uh, um, Ah, what is my problem? Is a uh, uh, sustainable sites initiative, um, and uh, it involves all kinds of uh, aspects of uh, sustainability: um, plants, soil, water management, materials, and human health and well-being. And uh, I will talk to Garth about that uh, at nine o'clock. And then after that, yet another great conference. Uh, this one's up in McHenry uh, a week from Saturday. Um, 
and that is the uh, Wildflower Preservation and Propagation Committee of McHenry County, and they always throw a great, great seminar up there, their 18th Natural Landscaping Seminar. Um, And i got some folks um, who are going to be speaking at that. So uh, you're always welcome to call in. 773-838-WCPT, 773-838-9278. If you've got questions about food issues, like we're going to talk about now, uh, if you've got questions about sustainability, about native plants later in the show, uh, do give us a holler. Feel free to uh, Facebook. Feel free to uh, Twitter. And uh, let's get rocking and rolling. We will go to uh, line one and bring in Monica Ang from the Chicago Tribune. How you doing, Monica? I'm great. How are you, Mike? Uh, good. Uh, thank you for getting up this early for me. No problem. Um, and uh, you uh, wrote about this issue. You have been following this issue for several weeks now. I uh, have written about it a couple of times. We talked last week on my show. Uh, and you've been other places as well. Um, um, I know the the issue has been covered in uh, the media in Chicago. I would say not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's good that it has a platform like the Chicago Tribune and your blog and uh, the paper in general. Um, but it still needs to be uh, it still needs to get out into the public further. I know WBEZ has uh, covered it, and I don't mind plugging them on this because. Uh, you know, it, they're they're doing the right thing and getting this uh, in the public, and and that's what I'm hoping happens uh, with my show, and that that more people pick up on it. You know, I've I've read some of the emails that have come across uh, my desk in the last couple of weeks, and people are saying, yeah, you know, we need the TV stations out there saying, tape at seven, tape at eleven. Except those are not the times that we do it in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> tape at six and ten. Um, so uh, I'm going to start with you because uh, I became aware of this through you and um, what you had written. Um, when you were on a week ago, you talked about food that had been destroyed by the health department at Kitchen Chicago. Uh, it was over a licensing issue. Uh, and even more food was destroyed this past week. Is that correct? That's correct. On Monday they returned, and, um, and Alexis estimates about 300 pounds more food was destroyed. Uh, and this was by uh, City Health? Uh... The same the same guys, yeah, the, the health inspectors. This time they brought along the director of food safety, Frances Guichard, because um, I think she probably wanted to be a little closer to the action and kind of see what happened uh, when this all blew up last week. Yeah, they continued to destroy food. Um, the the BZ video was a Pretty instructive on that. Uh, uh, by the way, yeah, uh, and I and I don't normally do this. Connect to other radio stations on my website, but I did. If you go to MikeNovak.net and uh, slash this week, um, you can connect to the WBEZ video uh, Chip Mitchell shot video of more food being destroyed this week at uh, Kitchen Chicago. Um, and so, so what was different this week than about the previous week? Well, this week, um, after after the food was destroyed, uh, the two applicants got their licenses. Um, so, so Flora Confection and Sunday Dinner Catering got their licenses. Um, but it just, you know, it. I think, and I think there were some attempts. I think Alexis will be more articulate than I to make amends and to say we really want to help you. We really want to cooperate. But at the same time, there was this destruction, and um, there wasn't a lot of backing down. 
Um, but I mean, and again, I like this a little better than this. They they said, okay, we want to clarify some of the rules here. There was one of those inspectors said, okay, we're going to have to, you're going to have to close down unless you make sure every single one of your clients has a separate locked box inside the cooler, which is logistically a nightmare because he was afraid, you know, one chef would sabotage another by pouring God knows what into their you know, about our wild sauce or something. Yeah, because that's what chefs uh, normally do. They sabotage each other's right. food. Uh, this is kind of uh, a standard trick. In right. I'm uh, being sarcastic, folks, if you're listening. Okay, that's sarcasm. And so that, that's not necessary in a walk-in cooler at a restaurant where you may have, you know, hundreds of kitchen employees, some who may be disgruntled. But it is, this guy says it is an absolute mandatory requirement in this kitchen. And then the, the director of food safety came in and said, look, that's not true. So even on the same day, after they're trying to get all their ducks in a row, they still have discrepancies in the same department about what these codes are. Well, I think it's time to bring in uh, Alexis uh, Leverens. How are you doing, Alexis? I'm good, Mike. Thanks. Uh, it's good to have you uh, on the show today. Uh, and she is the co-founder and owner of Kitchen Chicago. Uh, in a, just a few words, describe what Kitchen Chicago is all about. Uh, we have a commercial kitchen that we rent out hourly to mostly people that are just getting started in the food business and, and aren't quite ready for the uh, commitment or financial drain of their own space. So they use us kind of as an incubator um, until they're, they develop a following or recipes or whatever until they open up their own space. And that's actually one of the phrases that's used, incubator kitchen. Uh, other phrases are used, but that, that seems to be a popular one. Uh, and let's address the issue that Monica Eng from the Chicago Tribune just brought up, the idea that if you've got a number of different companies operating out of there, you could have some kind of contamination. How do you address that? Um, between chefs or just contamination Well, in just in general, the fact that you've – between chefs and the idea that more than one company is going in there and everybody works in a different way, how do, what kind of guidelines do you have to make sure that the facility is operating properly? Um, well, I obviously, you know, monitor everything and, and make sure that everything within the facility is safe and all the equipment works properly. Uh, we require that every one of our clients has their own City of Chicago Food Service Sanitation Certificate, um, so they're all well-versed in cross-contamination and, and um, foodborne illnesses and whatnot. Uh, they all carry their own insurance policy as well. Um, that's pretty much it, but... I, I can tell you they're all very knowledgeable in keeping food safe, and it's it's everybody's primary concern. And uh, the question, however, has been one of licensing. Yes. It's 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 very complex, and I've been following this now for a couple of weeks. Uh, I've seen a lot of the emails, as I mentioned earlier, come and go. Uh, and, and it seems really difficult to explain wh what the problem has been with licensing. Do you want to give it a shot, Alexis? I'll try. Sure, I'll try to make it brief. Um, we were told back in the day when we first opened. I called health and I called licensing and I asked. This is, I said, "This is what we're planning on doing. Is this okay in the city of Chicago?" And they both said, "Yes." We get people looking for kitchens all the time, so we went ahead and did it. And then our first client went downtown to apply for her business license, and they declined her, saying that you can't have more than one food license per location, and we already had ours there. So we had been operating under this assumption that, yes, we can do what we're doing, and none of our clients could get their own business license. Um, many, many people have heard that throughout the years, up until two weeks ago. Um, there's another kitchen that opened in Logan Square in the fall, 
And I called her right away thinking, oh, my God, what did I misunderstand? How did I, assuming that her clients all had business licenses, she agreed with what I had heard, that you can't have more than one food license per location, and she had hers. Um, so there was just, I think, misunderstanding and miscommunication between the departments. And when we, again, when we first opened, I went to licensing and asked what we needed to do, and I said, that's not our issue, that's health. I went to health. I asked them, you know, what do I need to do? They said, that's not us. That's licensing and zoning. I went to zoning, and they turned it back to health. Um, so I just could not get anywhere, and, and, and I guess if there is one silver lining to what happened is that I can finally talk to the right people and, and get this sorted out. Um, well, if you did get this sorted out, uh, why is more food being destroyed? I honestly have no idea. I They claim that um, food was there without, that they didn't, it had unknown sources, but at no point did they ask me. I ordered almost everything that went into the granola bars myself from United Natural Foods, um, all in the buttercream. I ordered the butter and the sugar that went into that, so at no point did they ask me for sources of the food, but had they, I would have. I have all the receipts still, and I can show them exactly where it came so from. So that, that's been one of the complaints by the health department is that they don't know the sources of the food, nothing's labeled, but Monica, right. you showed in photographs that you had in your blog site and in your article that the food was labeled. You can see the labels clearly. You can see them on my website. I've got it on, 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 on MikeNovak.net this week. You can see the packages that were destroyed, and you can see the labels on them. So what, is, what kind of smoke screen is that? It's strange to say, you know, unknown sources and then not even to ask the source and then to say it was unlabeled. I mean, I think Alexis is as baffled as I. If you want to know the source, ask the source or read the label. I don't know. Well, it sounds... Um all right, you know, I'm. Uh, you guys are, are are reasonable people. I'm a radio guy. I don't have to be reasonable. Um, and it sounds like uh, they have uh, the health department has its little fiefdom, and it really enjoys exercising power, flexing its muscles, and wielding its authority. Um, and it uh, that may be going on. It may not be going on. It's obvious that the city departments are not communicating with each other, which brings us to uh, a larger issue. And for this, I want to bring in Martha Boyd from uh, Angelic uh, Organics Learning Center. Martha, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Mike? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm frustrated, yes. uh, as, as are you all. And the reason I bring you in is because you've been dealing with these kinds of issues, and, and in some way you've become a, a kind of focal point for the venting and frustration that's going on behind the scenes. People listening to this show don't, don't know uh, how frustrated people are behind the scenes. And you have been involved in the local food movement in Chicago for some time now. We've talked on my show before. Um, and the, the problem, as I see it, is when the city's not paying attention, you've got different departments all working uh, against each other. Uh, and, and whether that's consciously or unconsciously, whether it's a bureaucratic in, um, institutionalism, uh, whether it's uh, personalities, um, they are doing it at a time when local food is uh, a movement that is growing rapidly, and it sounds to me like they're not responding um, to that movement and that uh, there are changes that will have to be made if we are going to be respected as a local food center in Chicago? I, I think I agree. I think there's a disconnect. 
Um, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people right now working um, at the local and state level on the local food and farming system and making it anew. Um, and I, you know, people like Alexis and the people working out of Kitchen Chicago are examples of folks who are trying to recreate um, by hooking up between themselves, local producers, being very loyal, even though it takes extra effort to um, to buy from somebody when, you know, it's not it's not just like going down to South Water Market or something that is part of a centralized industrial food system. And uh, the Learning Center has been helping local farmers get uh, their businesses started, and it's heartbreaking to hear that their food um, then goes somewhere where somebody who really wants to make it into good food for somebody else can do that. Uh, and what, one, of, one of the issues here is that uh, the, uh, some of this food, uh, I don't know how much, and, and uh, Alexis, perhaps you can address this, has been purchased at, uh, in Chicago at, at local farmer's markets. Uh, and so what's the point of supporting a farmer's market if the people who are going to then process the food have it destroyed by the health mm-hmm. inspectors? Um, is that for me? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Alexis. Yeah, I'm kind of, <laughs> oh, kind of okay. addressing you. Um, yeah, a, a large portion of um, what was destroyed, obviously all of Flora's fruits, um, Sunday dinner, managed to save their cherries by producing a receipt on Monday, but uh, they were not safe on Thursday had they gotten to those. Um, yeah, much of the stuff that was destroyed was bought at the Green City Market or directly through local farmers. And um, most of our clients, a great number of our more successful clients have started at the Green City Market, and I think they're a great asset to the market itself. And it's just kind of a a slap in the face to have their stuff destroyed, I think. And on top of this, Alexis, you say you're losing customers to your kitchen because of this issue. Uh, Yeah, one has moved to Oak Park. Four of them have removed their stuff, saying they just have to find another place to do it, which I don't know what that means, but it could be back at home, um, a, a neighboring suburb. Um, and then a few of them are uh, just reconsidering whether they want to do this or not. And I haven't confirmed this one yet, but I ran into a previous client of ours who said that somebody that she knows who was going to use us called the city, and, and somebody from the city said, given what's going on with us, she wouldn't recommend checking us out, um, which I think is ridiculous. Wow. Um, that's, that's, that's frightening. I mean, all right, yeah. if, if you've got a city that, that claims it wants local yeah. businesses to survive and then is doing everything it can to chase the business away, um, they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. Yeah, yeah. And, um, for many, the license does make sense, and for Sunday dinner, it's great, but a lot of, all of the ones that left are much smaller just getting started, just testing the waters, and, and they're not ready to commit to the license and the inspection, and, and those are the, exactly the ones that can go back home because they don't have the demand um, so in a required sense, just the space. In a sense, some of these businesses, maybe, uh, they, maybe they're being chased back underground, so they're going to operate out of their own kitchens, which is exactly what you don't want. You want them working exactly. in a licensed facility. Uh, but the city, uh, by by operating in such a ham-fisted way, uh, is scaring them off. Um, so, is has that whole license licensing aspect of this been resolved? Can these small businesses who work in are, are you so you you don't have an umbrella license now? Each individual company needs to get its own license. Is that the the way it's working right now? Do you know that for a fact? 
that's the way it is right now. We have another five or six inspections scheduled for next week, um, which I don't know. I, I find redundant, but that's besides the point, I guess. Um, and then I have a meeting with Francis Gashard and uh, Joy Edelisi from licensing on Thursday, which I'm hoping um, is more of a discussion and, and bringing with me my our clients' concerns and um, some of their stories, and uh, hopefully it'll be something where we can find something that works for us, our clients, health, and licensing, and it's, it's not just a, a meeting to hold my hand through the licensing process the way it exists now, so we'll see. Um, well, I want to uh, address the next question to uh, uh, Martha Boyd from uh, Angelic Organics Learning Center and Martha Ang from the Tribune, although, Mar uh, Monica, you, you might be loath to speculate, but uh, Martha, w w the bigger picture here, um, what needs to happen next to make sure that uh, the small businesses who work in the area of local food are protected? Um, I guess what I would... What I would describe first is an effort by the city to do some interdepartmental work. Um, there's a recent precedent um, out of the zoning department to put together a working group that's looking at the code for the kinds of needs um, in, in changing the code to work for urban agriculture. And the scope of it doesn't include the, st the stuff that's been going on at Kitchen Chicago, but it's a good example of... Um, creative thinking by the city to put together all the people in one room that need to think through the pieces and parts um, and tease, tease things out. Uh, the Advocates for Urban Agriculture, uh, which is an advocacy group but a, a mixture of organizations and individuals that work on urban ag, have been invited to participate in that process. And we envision doing is bringing into the different um, working sessions some of the people who are practitioners on the ground and can speak to the reality of a given site, a given system. Um, and so when, a, when something's being problem solved, uh, the folks who are actually doing it can say this works or that, that doesn't. Um, uh, my, while speaking okay, with the sorry. city departments, that, that then the, the next step, of course, beyond policy is the enforcement of the policy. And I think we need to be involved um, at that level, too. So I think that for the Kitchen Chicago situation, something similar could be put in place with um, an interdepartmental group that also works with practitioners. Yeah, it, it sounds like there has to be somebody overseeing this, uh, the various departments, or they're going to continue not to cooperate. Monica, doesn't that seem that way? Because you've, you've talked to people in all kinds of different departments, as Alexis has, and do they indicate a willingness to work together? Um, they, they, they indicate a willingness to work together now. And, um, you know, in the past, as I think Alexis says too, it's, it's been, you know, he went that away. It's not my fault. It's this person's issue. And I think now I think they realize that these things are interconnected. And it just doesn't look good for them to not have a comprehensive and cohesive and consistent plan between departments and within departments, frankly. Yeah. And, and, I, and we're going to have to wrap this up, but, um, it makes me wonder why now is it uh, simply because you're a relatively new business but you had a business in another location Alexis and you didn't have this problem did you um, we didn't but um, what happened was there were just a number of licenses that applied at our address that didn't get completed so that raised a red flag with licensing to uh, find out what was going on and uh, the inspector actually said that you can't have 
shared kitchens in the city of Chicago, and nobody could get their own license, but that he would he helped he hoped that we would work it out. Um, so I, yeah, I just think there's still miscommunication within the department. Um, we did not have the problem in the old space, but I, I think it's just the number of licenses that applied in our mm-hmm. current space, which was even before construction was finished, went before we even had ours. Um, so yeah, that's what brought them out in the first place. Well. Thank you all, Monica Ng, uh, Chicago Tribune. Monica, we're, uh, I'm going to get back to you because as, uh, as soon as we finish with uh, Rick DeMaio, okay, uh, yeah, and I, and I did have one real quick question, uh, and you can tell me if this applies. Uh, I got tweeted a question here from uh, Zamboni. Uh, if they're licensed in any way, can't they, uh, it says, donate, allow the businesses to donate to a food bank rather than destroying the food? Um, is there any accommodation for that kind of thing? Could you could you do that, or are, there, or are they not interested in listening to the the niceties of where the food might go? It's just to, to the city. It's just unlicensed, correct? That's correct. I mean, I I, I defer to Alexis on this about what they told her, um, but yeah, and they they gave one one the, the son of uh, Flora one of the granola bars and said, hey, eat it. But then they destroyed the rest, pretending if anybody touched this, they'd die. Well, then why did you give it to the kid? <laughs> yeah, that's a good because they didn't like the kid. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. All right. Well, um, Monica, I'm going to get back to you after Rick DeMaio because we have another issue to discuss, and that's the tremendous amount of waste uh, coming out of uh, food waste coming out of the Chicago public schools. Uh, and we're going to discuss that right after Rick DeMaio weather. So I'm going to let you go uh, right now, and we'll call you back, and, uh, and we'll chat about that probably in about uh, 20 minutes or so, okay? Great, thanks. Thank you. Um, Alexis uh, Leverens, uh I know you're going to be keeping everybody posted about your meeting this week, okay. and uh, I want to do a follow-up um, next week on the show and just continue to see where this issue goes. Uh, I hope it's a good, productive meeting. Uh, and uh, you and I will uh, undoubtedly be talking again. And Martha Boyd, um, um, again, I'm going to be following what you're doing, too, in, in, in the hopes of finding a more comprehensive solution to this, because it's not just one city agency uh, or department. It's several, and unless we have some way to coordinate all of it, it's going to happen over and over and over again, isn't it? Right. Well, I'd love to give a heads-up for the Chicago Food Policy summit that happens each year. This will be the fifth annual on March 12th, and it's at the UIC Forum, and people can find out more about it at chicagofoodpolicy.org. I went last year. It's a really great day uh, to learn about local food. Uh, Is this going to be an agenda item uh, during that day? It will. We'll have breakout sessions looking at different aspects of policy and doing some on-the-spot problem-solving, and this this is one of them. All right, so uh, uh, that is coming up. And, and, Martha, we will talk further about uh, that as well as, at, uh, as we get near the date. Uh, March 12th, did you say? Friday, March 12th. Friday, March 12th. Okay, thank you both for being on the show, and uh, we will be talking soon. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. This is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk. AM and FM, um, and uh, we got Rick DeMaio weather coming up in just a second. Here's a tip from the Care of Trees. Are you worried that your tree is too close to your house or that it's outgrowing its space? The first thing you should do is have the tree evaluated by a certified arborist from the Care of Trees. They can talk to you about whether you truly have a problem or if you can rest easy. 
If a tree is relatively small and delicate, such as a Japanese maple, it is unlikely that its proximity to a home will have much impact. However, if an oak or other large tree is growing close to a home, the impact can be significant, <clears throat> Excuse me, and the trees may pose some risk. And, of course, we all know about the evergreens that you planted 20 years ago uh, in, on, next to your porch, and now you can't open the front door. Uh, too late for that, huh? Uh, but that's why you want to give the Care of Trees a call. They've been serving Chicagoland for six years. The Care of Trees shares your enthusiasm for the many ways trees enhance the quality of your life, and the Care of Trees combines that joy with the dedication to the utmost in client care, putting you and your trees first. Make the Care of Trees your permanent partner in enhancing the value of your landscape. Whether you want to make sure all is well with the trees in your yard, you're changing your landscaping, or you're moving, invite the certified arborists at the Care of Trees to take a look. See thecareoftrees.com or call 847 847- Three nine four four two two zero eight four seven three nine four four two two zero. The care of trees. Their business is people and their love for trees. DR Services Unlimited has been providing Chicago's North Shore with award-winning remodeling and design-build services since 1991, giving their clients top quality service and real value. They're on the cutting edge of green building technology, helping clients make their home more energy efficient without sacrificing beauty or function. If you want to make your home more energy efficient, simply want to add a room or renovate, call DR Services at 847 or visit them at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. I believe uh, at 8.37, it's time to go to line four and bring in Rick DeMille. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing fine, Mike. How are you this morning? All right. Now, you're uh, up in the wilds today, I, I understand. Yeah, Devil's Lake State Park up in Baraboo. Beautiful morning. What are you doing? little uh, <laughs> outdoor activity? Are you on the skis? Or are you, you um, did, did some hiking yesterday. Going to do some cross-country skiing today and eventually... Uh, some downhill skiing later on this afternoon. It's I, an absolutely beautiful morning here, a little bit of valley fog. The sky is clear. Temperature's about 8 degrees Fahrenheit and not a lick of wind. Couldn't ask for a better Sunday morning. Wow, it is. It's gorgeous here uh, in, the, in the city yeah. of Chicago today, too. Really, really lovely. I mean, ever since we had the big snowstorm, which, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I asked for last week, <laughs> um, and got, and on top right, of that, right. I mean, we mentioned it earlier in the program today that not only did I ask for the snowstorm, but I asked for, uh, well, I didn't ask for the earthquake. I just asked for the snowstorm. <laughs> and Heather, of course, yeah. is shaking her fist yeah. at me because the, 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 the earthquake was on her birthday, as was the snowstorm. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, quite a package deal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead, Heather. You can you can comment on it. It was, I was okay with it, but all in all, just I didn't appreciate the trudge in the morning. With all the snow, oh, I, That's see, all, I don't. It's so beautiful on the trees. I just hate having to wallow through it to get where I'm going. Right. Well, trudging and wallowing occurs when you get to the snow, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's funny how I was kind of upset because um, I think that's the only time where a geologist will actually, you know, upstage a meteorologist with a 3.8 and a meteorologist a 12.9. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. 
Yeah, nice yeah, and nicely played. Thank you. Oh, wait a second. Here we go. There we go. Ah, there you go. Yeah, I can repeat it, but I guess I can't. The deal gets cold after a while. That's not right? my bell, by the way. That's that's uh, that's Sanders's bell. Mine mine has a higher pitch. I know this. Oh, oh, is that right? <laughs> it does. I have, He's acknowledging it. He stole your bell. idea was mine. <laughs> Everybody uses the bell. But where's mine? That's what I want to know. Where's my bell? All right, we got to track it down. Anyway, uh, but you're right. It's a it was a minor earthquake, and, and everybody went nuts. It was kind of crazy. You know what? Well, because it, it it was felt by so many places, Mike. That that earthquake was only three miles below the surface, which is really amazing. And we, you know, we talked about the Haitian earthquake being about five miles below the surface. This was three miles below the surface, and um, it was only a three point eight. But yet, the 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 epicenter was basically centered um, where there's a tremendous amount of bedrock. And you know, all of northern Illinois, obviously, you have a lot of you know dirt and some clay in some areas, but very, very minor clay. Um, but it's mainly bedrock, so when you get an earthquake of even a minor magnitude like that centered just below the surface of the earth, um, what's called your your primary waves and your surface waves will emanate in a in, a, in an outward distance um, for for quite some time. And uh, there's actually there's actually two main waves of earthquakes. There's a primary, which kind of is the, the main wave that gets set off from the two plates kind of rubbing up against each other. And they go kind of like if you would take your arms and just kind of push them outward radially from your body, that would be a primary wave. And then if you do that again, but you take your, your fingers and your hand and you kind of move it up and down like a snake, that would be a secondary wave. So some of the energy is then being pushed upwards. Um, at a 90-degree angle to your hands if they're extended outward. And the secondary wave and primary wave was just below the surface so that the main wave that actually causes damage, which is what's called the surface wave, had, didn't really get a chance to dissipate much. And that's one of the reasons why it was felt. And I don't know if you felt it, but I certainly felt it at about 3.59 in the morning because I thought someone was plowing the end of my street and was using a front end loader and dropped it on the ground. And I'm looking at it like, I'm like, what was that noise? And, uh, and sure enough, when I got into class about, uh, about an hour or when they say about eight o'clock in the morning, I asked everybody, they felt that, yeah, what was that? And they had still no idea what it was. And I had to explain it to them. And they were like, they thought we were going to talk about snow for the first half hour class. Here I am talking all about earthquakes. So it's kind of interesting to be able to branch off in that direction. Unfortunately for me, I, if the sun went nova, I would sleep through it. Uh, really? Yeah, I am. I have. I do not wake up for much of anything, it, uh, and I certainly wasn't. <laughs> and I live in the city, you know, because and well, you live in the city too, and you live on the. Yeah. I'm surprised that uh, that uh, well, y- you know, you probably hear a lot uh, just because you're right on the lakefront. Um, uh, oh yeah. Crashing waves yeah, and I, stuff like that, but uh, yeah, it, it was a very interesting. It was a very interesting sound because. Um, it, it wasn't like your typical, you know, loud booms. It was, it was kind of like a boom that kind of started in, uh, underneath your building and kind of shook. And, and all I thought was like, oh, wow, that was kind of weird. What was that? And mm-hmm. then you just kind of blow it off because it's, you know, four in the morning. So you're thinking, well, it could be anything at that point. Um, but yeah, and the odd thing about it was we had just had this, you know, amazing two-part snow event where the first part was basically what we call system snow. Uh, it was like about a four to about a six-inch snow event. And I remember in the afternoon, 
even I was doubting myself that we'd get this, you know, additional two to four inches of, of lake effect. And it's 6 o'clock, and I'm like, yeah, you know, everybody's going to be mad again. You know, we went too high with the snow. And then I'm in my class at Loyola, and I'm showing them, you know, why this is happening. All of a sudden you see this band of snow developing, and I'm like, wow, this is actually looking pretty good now. And then next thing you know, the band of snow basically sat in the same spot um, for about four or five hours. And in between 6.30 and 11.30, O'Hare, uh, measured six inches of snow, which was incredible because I have never seen that much snow on the backside of, a, of an area of low pressure that produces that much snow. So it went down in the books of a 12.6-inch, um, 24-hour snow event for O'Hare, which turned out to be, this is amazing, the seventh largest 24-hour snow event ever in the history of Chicago snow, dating back to 1870. I think of myself, this is crazy. I've, I've seen... I've seen better 24-hour snowfalls, but but it wasn't. That was the biggest ever. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the biggest ever, but the seventh largest ever, and um, uh, and the greatest ever in the month of February. So you had all this great information the next day. Now I'm talking about primary waves and surface waves of a 3.8 earthquake out in the cows. It was very funny. That is what we call a jam-packed full um, or Earth Day. It's just. Uh... Um, you want to be able to get into the uh, all the aspects of the earthquake as right. well as the snow mm-hmm. and uh, and see and that's why you have this program because um, you know on TV you would have had about thirty seconds to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably I would have been shaking the desk and saying, "Feel your coffee cup is going one way or the other." Go, okay, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, from what I can see, the the forecast you sent me, it's kind of a, a lot of the same old same old for the next few days. Yeah, you know what? It's amazing, Mike. We're definitely stuck now in a, in a, in a pattern that's going to be somewhat, um, somewhat cold, but but not a lot of snow. The, the airflow is going to be coming straight out of um, southern sections of Canada, right into the upper Midwest. Um, and the amazing thing about it is the little system that bypassed us yesterday uh, is now ramping up and heading straight for the Mid-Atlantic coast. And it looks like by late tonight. Um, they'll probably begin to see some snow, and probably by tomorrow afternoon into Tuesday, um, it looks like the D.C. area could be looking at another three to six inches of snow, which is, I- I'm, I've never seen one particular area get so much snow time after time after time. In fact, even last, even last weekend when they had the, uh, the 20 to 30 inches of snow, Richmond, Virginia only had about three inches, um, and New York City only had about three inches. So, when you saw on TV um, Northeast Powerhouse, um, it, it really wasn't. It was it was basically a very narrow area of snow. We were talking about, or at least trying to talk about it, because I know our connection was bad last week. Um, oddly enough, when when we had that bad connection, I was downtown overnight at the at the Hilton and Towers, and the connection was bad. And here I am at the Wildwood Inn up in uh, Vareville, Wisconsin, and the connection, from what I can understand, was so far working out pretty well. Oh, it's, it's out. You, you're crystal clear here. It's not a problem. Yeah, yeah it was really, you know, the way, yeah. um, the owner is looking at me and, and shaking his head. Thank you for mentioning this. But if anybody ever wants to come up to Devil's Lake State Park up in Wisconsin, uh, right off of Highway 123, this is an absolute gem, Mike. These, these units are beautiful. Um, from the front porch, I'm looking out over a valley. Uh, there's cross-country ski trails in the front. There's snowmobile trails out in the back. Uh, what was that? 
Oh, it's the Willowwood Inn. Here I am saying Wildwood Inn. It's the Willowwood Inn. Oh, okay. good. No that, that, I, that does no some good. I Googling and I couldn't find it. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it's the Willowwood Inn. Yeah, the Wildwood Inn, I think it's a little bit more of a, I don't know. I think that's someplace else. Rick, it's, anyway, it's, it's yeah, a, Rick, it's, it's a good it's thing a, you, you don't work for the PR on. department, okay? You know, if you, <laughs> you'd have just been canned. Yeah, but, you know, and it's interesting, like, because um, you know, I went to school up here at the University of Wisconsin, and we did a couple of uh, geology tours because, you know, some of the rock up here uh, is about a billion and a half years old. And obviously when the glaciers came through here, they carved it out. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of these things where you, people look at it on the map, they go, oh, that's too far to drive. And it really is not. It's about a three-hour drive from Chicago. Um, this time of the year, as you, you know, as you can see in Chicago, it's nice and sunny out. This is one of those places where you can get away and you really feel like you're far, far away. And this is the one great thing about, I think, wintertime in the Midwest is when you get into this period where it's sunny and it's dry and it's cold enough where the snow is not melting, this is, to me, the stuff you kind of want to enjoy. And there's great hiking up here. There's obviously cross-country ski trails. Um, and it's wonderful. And as you were talking about, the weather is going to remain somewhat cold where we'll have sunshine today, readings in the mid-20s. We'll probably cloud up a little bit during the day tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of lake effect snow for Monday and Tuesday. But then it looks like it dries out again for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So from what I can see, the next um, week and a half look to be cold and dry. And even though uh, Dallas, Texas, the other day had 11 inches of snow, which was a record for any 24-hour period and any snowstorm uh, that has ever come through that part of north-central Texas, Someone said, oh, yeah, El Nino, right? Yeah, right, El Nino. Yeah, it's not doing anything. But this is actually a very typical El Nino because the southern track of the storms, I should say the storm track across the United States has been so persistent. Since December 21st, Denver, Colorado has received a grand total of 6.8 inches of snow. Since December 21st, that's it. Wow. There's basically no storms coming out of eastern Colorado. Everything has been shooting out of Texas and everything has been coming through the northern plains. So it's basically been dry across some parts of the United States, um, and it's been very wet across others. And, you know, that's, that's basically how climate works in the short term. And it just gives people a little bit of a, you know, I, I have to say I was listening to, I, I always like to listen to, to Rush Limbo to feel much smarter about myself. Um, <laughs> I, I tried to listen to him on Friday during open line, and all of a sudden he comes out. You know, he likes to debate himself and win every week. Um, so he's coming out talking about, oh, Al Gore, we'll be one people, you know, all this snow, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like saying, boy, he's really adding fuel to the fire of how dumb he can sound by just saying that one event has nothing to do with something that's been going on for, you know, six months or eight months or nine months. It's, you know, and at the same time, it's sad. It's really sad that they can key in on something like that and make big news out of it that really has nothing to do with it. I know. And, um, I, I think about you every time I hear those uh, nimrods talk about one snow event uh, as disproving global warming uh, right. or, cl or climate change, because I know you I, call it climate change, not global warming. Well, when it snows in Phoenix and it's snowing in Alabama and Florida and they're like, oh, it's not global warming, but yes, it is climate change. It's not supposed to snow in Phoenix. Well, well, right, and I and I think all of, all this is just telling us is that I, you know maybe there's there's other things that are going on that we're not too sure about. But 
it just it just seems it's almost seems childish in a way. Yeah. I don't know. I just I, I just I just don't get it. But um, well, uh, then, we'll leave that we'll leave that for another radio. Yeah, we will. You know, we'll we'll go off on uh, Rush Limbaugh for an hour oh, someday. Oh, oh, oh. How does that sound? Uh, got one of those photo oh, punch a, a up bags. Fine with me. <laughs> uh, but uh, I got to let you go because I need to get back to Monica Ang from the Chicago Tribune, and we're going to talk about uh, the food fine. issues in uh, Chicago public schools. Uh, so it looks like uh, cold and sunny. Um, a little bit of snow, nothing's going right. to change a whole right. lot, and uh, and when it does change and we have another earthquake, you're going to let us know, right? <laughs> right, and, and again, if you want to have some nice peace and quiet, the Willowood Inn on Route 23, about a mile north of Devil's Lake State Park, wonderful place, wintertime, summertime, springtime, falltime. I'm going to go out and grease up my cross-country skis, Mike, and enjoy the sunshine. I hope you're getting a cut for that uh, little plug uh, that you put in there. Um, just, just some real cream in my coffee. Yeah. That's all I have for. All right. Uh, thanks a lot. Rick DeMaio Weather. You can go to DeMaioWeather.com or go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and uh, uh, click on uh, the link right there, and we will talk next week. Okay, have a good week, Mike. Take care. Uh, where were we here? We were going to tell you that if you plan to grow vegetables this spring and summer, why not start them from seed? And there's a lot of good reasons. First, it's fun. You're going to learn a lot. You'll save money. You can grow the exact varieties you like. If you want to get stuff in the store, often you can't find exactly what you want. For the cost of one plant, you could purchase a packet of 35 to 40 seeds, sometimes, you know, Hundreds of seeds. Um, starting plants now from seeds gives you almost a two-month head start in the spring. And with a little planning, you can have transplants available throughout the growing season so your garden is continuously productive. Now's the time to start this year's vegetable garden in SIDS. Greenhouses and Garden Center is ready to help. Their shipment of flower and vegetable seed packets is in, and they have the largest selection of seeds in their history. So there's no need to order from catalogs this year. Although, you know, you can do both. There's no reason you can't uh, uh, double dip there. Um, but stop by SIDS, and you can walk out of the store with them. Um, they've got certified organic seeds. You know the popular varieties go fast, so visit SIDS early for the best selection, along with expert advice and seed starting supplies. SIDS, Chicagoland's premier garden centers, are located in Palos Hills on Southwest Highway and in Bolingbrook on Naper Plainfield Road at Hassert Boulevard. All right, I think it's time to do a little... um, Roulette here. I don't know which way. Do 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 do. We can do that one. Let's let's do this. You're listening to the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk AM and FM. If you were listening earlier to the conversation we had at the top of the hour. We're talking to Monica Ang from the Chicago Tribune, who's who writes about food issues uh, among the things she does. Monica, it's good to have you back. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and one of the huge food issues uh, is the Chicago, what's going on in Chicago public schools. Uh, you, um, you wrote an article uh, last Monday about the waste that's coming out of the Chicago public school schools uh, on a daily basis from breakfast and um, and uh, lunches. Uh, give us an idea of the scope of what we're dealing with here. Well, um, 
you know, first of all, you've got the food waste, which is it's a big tragedy, especially because basically what's eaten are the nachos and what's thrown away is the fresh produce. Um, and then you have uh, these styrofoam trays, these polystyrene trays. I should not say styrofoam. Um, expanded polystyrene trays, 236,000 of which are thrown into the landfill every day, never to biodegrade. Um, you know, that's basically twice the size of the Willis Tower every single day. Every single day, twice the size of the Willis Tower, and, and each week it's about a million, right? Right. About right. a million poly, they call it expanded polystyrene trays. That's correct. All right. Why are we not? Why are we using those? Because they um, they allow people to be fired. Um, okay, I, I'm jumping. <laughs> Let's just say it doesn't require as much labor to wash those as it does to simply toss them in the garbage. Um, and it, in, you know, in the end, it does actually cost money. But the waste hauling fees are a different department than the food service fees. So food service says, "Hey, look at all this money we've saved." by getting rid of the reusable washable trays, um, but then that ends up going into waste hauling fees and, of course, into our landfills and into global warming. And, you know, don't get me started there. Obviously, you know a lot more about it than I. Well, you know, and, 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 and there are people out there who would say, but, you know, you can recycle polystyrene. I know that there are polystyrene uh, manufacturing companies who say, yes, you can uh, recycle it. Here's a problem. In Illinois, there's exactly one facility. Which just opened in November, and um, they, they don't give you compensation for bringing it in, which then the districts will say, well, then it just costs us money to ship it out there. It doesn't save us any money. Um, and then there's the issue that No Foam Chicago uh, has brought up, which is the gassing off from the polystyrene trays. They, th their contention is that there are chemicals released when you put heated foods on there that are not safe for our children. Uh, and again, the industry would say, well, not really so much, but that's a bone of contention. Yes, right. Nobody agrees on that. But, the, um, but you know, it has been classified as a probable carcinogen, styrene. And there's no question that there is some styrene and expanded polystyrene. So how much of that and at what levels does it need to accumulate in the small growing body to become dangerous, still the, the jury's out. And, but I think the, the most insidious thing and the worst thing is the food we're throwing out. We throw out cartons of half-filled milk. Not even half-filled, fully filled. There's no place for them to take a full carton of milk and say, I'm not going to be able to drink this today. It has to go in the garbage. Completely full uh, cartons of yogurt, unopened, untouched. Completely full cereal boxes, um, you know, Cheerios. Why Wimler. can't those go to uh, food pantries? That is a great question. And I, you know, for the rest of the week after the story ran, I was trying to sort that out. CPS claims that they've never told anyone that they have to throw it away. And then I go on to these teacher sites, and they say, of course they have. I've been working at CPS for 17 years. The amount of untouched food we've thrown away could feed Africa. And they said, Monica Ang was fooled. CPS was just trying to give her a line. They forced us to throw it away. They, you know, we, we're in trouble if we even try to save an apple. So I've been trying to sort that out with the USDA. They won't, even, they won't let the kids take food, uh, you know, put an apple in their knapsack because they don't want food going into the classrooms, right? Right. Or anywhere. I mean, the kids could take it home and give it to their hungry sibling or eat it for a snack after school, but that is not going to happen. It's all going to go in the garbage can, not even composted. I mean, obviously, you know what great compost those, you know, chopped up apple would make, but no. 
Well, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, as radio works, they don't have a lot more time to talk about this, but I want you to go to my website because I've linked to Monica's article, uh, and we need to talk more about this. And it sounds like it's an institutional thing, like we were talking earlier today about destroying food uh, in, in the shared kitchen. Um, they're behind the times. Yeah. They really institutionally... Somebody needs to get their act together. Me, I tend to point to the guy who's running it all, the mayor. But, you know, because my feeling is if he wants to be really a green guy, he will get on top of this. You know, he would probably say, yeah, we can't do anything because it's the institutions. But um, I disagree. Uh, but at any rate, something needs to be done to change this. I want you to go and read Monica's article. Monica, um, please keep me posted on stuff, and, and especially if there, you make some headway in figuring out how to recycle some of this stuff. Well, right spot is two days after my story ran, um, Alderman Burke and Alderman Rukai introduced uh, a ban on polystyrene. Okay, and, and that might go someplace and it might not, but Let's I'm hope. glad they did. Let's hope it does. Yeah. Thank you, Monica Ang. I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, we're coming up on CNN News here. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of great, great conferences after 9 o'clock. This is Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM. You're listening to WCPT's Self-Help Sundays. Four hours of home improvement help for inside and outside your home. 820 WCPT AM Willow Spring. 92.7 WCPT FM Arlington Heights. 92.5 FM WCPY DeKalb. And 99.9 FM WCPQ Park Forest. Self-Help Sundays on WCPT AM and FM. Chicago's Progressive Talk. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, Chicago's only locally broadcast green, gardening, and environment program. This hour of the Mike Novak Show is brought to you by Sid's Greenhouses, Chicagoland's premier garden centers, and by The Care of Trees, our business's people and their love for trees, and by WRD Environmental, creating sustainable landscapes since 1997. Podcasts of this program, along with green tips, valuable links, and DeMaio weather, are a click away at MikeNovak.net. That's M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Here he is, Mike Novak. And this is uh, a shout-out to Joe Builder. We were having a discussion about ELO last week, so I had to play some classic ELO here. That song's a classic before it was an ELO classic. I know it. And there are people who go, no, no, it's Chuck Berry. No, yeah, no, Chuck no. Chuck Berry did it. The Beatles did it. I know. ELO it's, did it. The, Be- the Beatles is okay. Chuck Berry's great. This is awesome. I'm going to bring in... Uh, Greg Alexander, and we're going to come at you for that Beatles okay. <laughs> Beatles were okay. Beatles covered. They were all right. They, they were they okay. Covered, yeah. They covered some stuff, and it was like, okay, that's you know, they were they were better doing their own stuff. So. Yes, they were. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we did. We we've been on the show an hour, 
And we haven't even mentioned Valentine's Day. Nope. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Me neither. Okay. No. So it's so close to it? my birthday. I've been getting so many chintzy, lacy, pink, and, <laughs> you know, purple teddy bears for forever and a day. I'm like, yeah, thanks. I don't want your box of chocolates, and I don't want your roses. Thanks. <laughs> and get out of my face. Right. But at the same token, I feel kind of guilty being cynical about Valentine's Day, because if it does motivate people to, like, be sweeter or do something for their significant other, then I, all in all, I think I support that. I think it's a good thing. You know that you're probably right but about it's that. The commercialism but, but, of it that I've choked on over the years, I can't stand I know. it. It's 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 pretty in, intensely annoying. Yeah. Although I will say one thing though, it is great for people in the uh, flower business. Very true. I was talking to uh, somebody the other day about that who uh, who has a garden center in the Chicago area, and and he was really happy that Valentine's Day was on a Sunday. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, it spreads it out. Every year, you know, if it's on a Tuesday, everybody's at the last second ordering things on the Tuesday. All right? And it, it, and it makes everybody crazy because you, you've got this one day. And then a couple of years ago, there was a snowstorm on that day. And it wiped out Valentine's Day for the florists. It was a horrible, horrible I mean, the snowstorm Midwest, I mean, obviously in other parts of the country is fine, but here it was terrible. And they rely on this. This is a huge this part a, of their business. Yeah, this is like yeah. Black Friday for them. You know, you've you got to understand, the horticultural industry kind of goes from March to June. Uh, and about that time, they start looking at Christmas. They look at a little bit, you know, with, a, with, with, with Halloween being kind of a blip. Yeah. Uh, but really... Uh, they're they're getting it all done right now. This is the busy season. February, ha! Huh, you know they are so gearing up. They're doing the orders and getting everything ready, and then we get to March, April, and 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 that's when the people start buying stuff in in May, uh, and then basically after Memorial Day. Well, you know some people say the Fourth of July, but after Memorial Day things really kind of cool off. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got to make their money. When they can, and 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 they need these little uh, holidays, little you know yeah. Valentine's Day, but they need a holiday like Valentine's Day to well, help get them flowers. through the season. Every what? female likes getting flowers. I you know it's. I like it. Wait a second. Everybody, I like I know, getting flowers. Everybody likes getting flowers. I, 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 I assure this, you, every female likes it too. I've, I've had this bone of contention for years, which is that you know I keep telling people you can send me flowers. I'm a garden guy, for God's and sake. Being you know? of a garden guy and getting those flowers, how do you keep them from dying within a day? Well, I'm so glad you asked that, Heather. And I'm so glad you brought up the uh, the uh, the website from the Brooklyn <laughs> Botanical Garden to help me with that. I'm busting myself. You were supposed to just look genius and all. Yeah, you just ruined oh, it. Everybody knows I'm not a genius. <laughs> I try to help I'm, him, I'm, folks. I'm, I'm not I'm not fooling anybody. Although the one thing that they don't have on there that uh, there are a couple things I will say because at this time last year. Um, were you here yet? When did no, you sign on? No, I started about about a year now. I think next Sunday will make it my year. Well, with of course, you. I'm not going to be here next Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> we should tell people that next Sunday, uh, I'm I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> I need a day off. He needs a break. I need a break. And Heather's uh, champing at the bit here to run the control board. She's jealous of Greg Alexander, who who does it for uh, Jake on Saturdays. Awake with Jake from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Chicago's Progressive Talk. 
and she's a little jealous, and she wants to run the board and bully Beth Botts. Oh, I won't bully her. Who's going to who's going to fill in for me next week? I'll be, I only bully you because you don't let me have any fun. Now, Beth, I'll be. I always let you have fun. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wow! But no, Beth, you know I Beth have. The, I could shut off your mic just I like know. see, just like that. I it just, I just, loud, so I can just keep talking. I know, and people are listening to the show right now. They could still hear you. Yeah. This is what's scary. I know, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Beth is a lovely woman, and I want to do everything I can to help her and put out a great. Beth show. is great. Beth, you know, uh, has written for the Chicago Tribune, was on staff for twenty years, and now writes uh, as a freelancer. Uh, don't get me started. I, it was great because I had Monica Ang from the Tribune here, and there's some great people who work there. It's the 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 office and the administrative side of things. Uh, those people I'm not too fond of at Tribune. Um, but uh, Beth is here, and she has her own blog site, Growing in Chicago. Uh, don't take that away yet, because uh, I'm gonna oh, I'm yeah. gonna need that. We're gonna go into that. Uh, and by the way, we're still, uh, you know, I'm glad to see that we've got some people. Zamboni has been following us today on uh, uh, Twitter. Uh, so obviously listening to the show, asking questions. Sorry, I can't answer all of them. Um, I hope some other people are, are listening to us and following. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working the social media yeah. thing. Yeah. But to get back to, um, so Beth is here next week. Be nice to her. Call in. Ask her questions. She really is smart, and she does know her stuff. Uh, and I'm not worried that they're going to fire me and hire her because uh, it's, it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mike Novak, LLC, so I would have to fire myself, which I might do. <laughs> That's why you're giving yourself a day off. That's why I'm giving myself a day off. leave of absence. I'm, I'm, Management I'm, has spoken. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm actually considering firing myself. I, I don't know if you know that. Uh, just to see what happens. Uh, and see if I can find another job. <laughs> The rejection will help build your self-esteem a little bit. I don't get paid for this one anyway, so what's, what's that? But again, how do I keep my roses from dying after I get them from, you know, the 7-Eleven well, okay, bucket? First of all, buy, buy them, buy them uh, at a reputable florist. All right, this is, this is how you start. Uh, I had last year, I had uh, um, Amy Stewart was on who works for the uh, blog Garden Rant. And I need to have more of the Garden Rant people back on, because they're fun. Um, and she wrote a book called Flower Confidential. And one of the things she pointed out in the book that seems kind of obvious, but it isn't, is that uh, pe when you buy flowers in a grocery store, where are they kept? They're kept near the produce. Probably the worst place you can keep a flower. You don't know this. No. Uh, what, what, is it from the emissions from the fruit? You got it. Ethylene, ethylene gas comes out of uh, things like apples. All right. That's why you, if you want something to ripen, you stuck, stick it in a paper bag with an apple um, because it emits this gas. So where do they put flowers in, in, in supermarkets? They put them next to the produce where it shortens their lives. So... This is something to keep in mind when you buy flowers. Now, if you're buying flowers in a supermarket today, you forgot all about oh, Valentine. Yeah. Or you, are you like, got someone mad. At you. Yeah, you are. You're just <laughs> so you only care they last a day anyway, <laughs> and that's about what they're gonna last. Well, it depends on the flower you get too. I mean, there are, there are certain flowers that just go on and on and on, like the ones I've got in my living room right now. 
Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember the name, but Kathleen will uh, send me the uh, the email in a second and say they're blah blah blah. You dink. <laughs> uh, uh, and and uh, but let's go back to that. Um, so that's one thing. Where do you buy them? Buy them at a reputable place where they're not going to put them next to the apples. All right. Second, when you cut them, cut them as quickly as you can. Um, some people say you should cut them in water. Because the second you expose them to air, um, you're, you're, you're shortening the life of the plant. They need to, to suck up that water. Uh, just do it quickly. You know, it's my, you know, you got to cut them. Don't just slam them in the water. Make sure you, you cut the base of them because they need to soak up that water. Don't overcrowd flowers in the container. Uh, check the water level in the vase and replenish it when it needs to be replenished. Flowers that go limp are not drinking well. They're not playing well with others, and they need to be recut or discarded. Um, get rid of the wilted blooms. Uh, and, and, and right here on the site, I wasn't even reading this, but look at the last point there, Heather. Keep flowers away from drafts, direct sunlight, and ripening fruits, which emit ethylene. So maybe I'm smarter than I think see? I am. See? You so. didn't need the website. You are Mike <laughs> Nova, sir. Master Gardener. Master Gardner. All right, let's get uh, let's let's get Garth on the phone because uh, we're going to talk about an event coming up. And before I do that, let's uh, let's let you know about OneHistory.org. How to look at an image? Why is it the most popular feature on the One History website? Using multicultural photographs, this remarkable teaching tool takes students and teachers step-by-step through the process of seeing, interpreting, and using photographs and other images. It provides information on where historical images can be found online and provides discussion questions that help you get the most out of an image. Check out the website at www.onehistory.org. That's www.onehistory.org. Or, if you want us to work with your students directly, we can do a presentation at your school. Call us at 216-956-6300. 216-956-6300. You know, this is Black History Month, and one of the places you can learn about black history is, is onehistory.org. You know, the... Uh, you hear the ads on my show, and they are friends of mine. I'm, you know, happy to say that. And I love what they do. They look at uh, history as told through the eyes of underrepresented parts of our culture. Um, and that's people of color, women, and children. Uh, obviously, uh, not everything that happened in our country over our 200 years is... Uh, is because of white guys uh, with beards. Um, And children were part of that. I I think you might be fascinated in how children shape our culture. Uh, And and the way we behave towards children uh, shapes our culture as well. Um, And uh, I think you should go to One History because they have a lot of great services. And one of the ones that they have that they talk about is how to look at a photograph. A lot of you have photographs in your homes that are dated, that have been in the family for generations, and you go, gosh, who's that in there? When was that taken? I have no idea. Well, they know, at One History, they can teach you how to figure that out. 
So uh, that's one of the services. They have helped people. Bring, you know, people bring in boxes of, of photos, and they say, uh, how do I figure out how to, uh, how to tell who's in this? Well, they show you. Because there are tricks. There are tricks of the trade. And so you can add some meaning to photos that you've had stored in your attic for generations. So, uh, onehistory.org. www.onehistory, O-N-E, the word history.org. Uh, are you familiar with Aldo Leopold? He's considered the father of wildlife ecology. Um, he was a renowned scientist and scholar, teacher, and philosopher, and writer. And it's his book, A Sand County Almanac, uh, that made him well known. Now, he said this, and WRD Environmental would like you to remember it. Here's what Aldo Leopold wrote. He said, the outstanding scientific discovery of the 20th century is not television or radio, but rather the complexity of the land organism. Only those who know the most about it can appreciate how little we know about it. The last word in ignorance is the man who says of an animal or plant what good is it? If the land mechanism as a whole is good, then every part is good, whether we understand it or not. If the biota in the course of eons has built something we like but do not understand, then who but a fool would discard seemingly useless parts? To keep every cog and wheel is the first precaution of intelligent tinkering. I like reading that because it makes me sound smart, too. See? Uh, you know, my advertisers help me sound smart. At WRD Environmental, they not only appreciate the complexity of our region's ecology, but are dedicated to protecting, restoring, and healing it. WRD creates sustainable landscapes from large-scale master planning to community pocket parks. For innovative, sustainable landscape development, choose WRD Environmental, located at the Chicago Center for Green Technology and online at wrdenvironmental.com. Well, I think in honor of uh, what's going on in Vancouver, It's appropriate that we bring in in line one, Garth Conrad. How you doing, Garth? All right, Mike. How are you? Do you ever get this kind of music when you uh, enter board meetings for Mila? No, this is the first for me. <laughs> See, stick with me, pal. <laughs> I'll take care of you. Uh, Garth Conrad is uh, president of uh, the Midwest Ecological Landscaping Association. Uh, I never heard of you guys. Uh, oh, yeah, right. What do you... <laughs> Uh, and he's also, uh, he's got his own design firm, Garth Conrad Associates, and uh, you're based in Indiana, but, uh, right. and, and, and that's one of the great things. Uh, Mila is an organization that I helped found about eight years ago, and, and you guys are now having your uh, uh, eighth annual conference, and it's amazing that it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm amazed at our growth, and we're doing great. You are. I'm I'm such a proud papa uh, to watch Mila become such a force in the uh, in the green industry. Uh, and when we started this, and you and I have known each other now, it's got to be six years at least. Sounds about right. Yeah, and um, uh, I, we were so happy to get you in because 
Wow, now we got somebody from Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> I put the M in Midwest, yeah. There, there you go. Um, and uh, But since then, there's no uh, need to, to say things like that anymore because uh, you represent uh, landscapers and designers and growers and educational institutions and, and all kinds of uh, companies and organizations throughout the Midwest. Right. Yeah, about 80% of our uh, membership is organizations. So. Uh, which is fabulous. And, 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 and that, that's important to say that Mila is basically... Uh, an industry organization. Now, that doesn't mean that that somebody who comes to the conference isn't going to benefit from uh, what is said there if an, an average Joe comes by. But I think if you're in the business, you really need to know about the Midwest Ecological Landscaping Association. Now, your eighth conference um, is uh, a week from Thursday. I'm going to be there. It's Chicago Botanic Garden, uh, as the, they've all been for the last uh, few years. And... Um, it's a great partnership you've got with the uh, Chicago Botanic Garden. Yeah, they've been wonderful with us, absolutely. Uh, in fact, they've, they've let you spread out a little bit this year, right? Oh, yes. We, uh, we're opening a vendor fair for the first time, and, uh, and we're um, doing workshops and, uh, and uh, small, small gathering talks, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're spreading out. Uh, and uh, the uh, conference this year... Uh, it revolves around the Sustainable Sites Initiative. You, um, the name of your conference is Our Future is in Your Hand, Sustainability in Action. But it's about SSI. You want to explain a little bit about SSI, Garth? Well, SSI is an outgrowth of the LEAD program, which is Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And the idea is to take what architecture has done, what LEAD has done with buildings, and move it over to the landscape and try to create a voluntary set of guidelines, prerequisites, and credits that you undertake uh, to create the most sustainable landscape you can, and it's kind of a race to the top to see how many credits you can get to get the highest rating. So we're trying to just duplicate what architecture has done and uh, pull the landscape in, independent of the building, pull the landscape into the umbrella of sustainable uh, sustainable design and, and create a better, greener landscape. Okay, for the people whose eyes glaze over when you say sustainability, what are you talking about? Well, I like to paraphrase it as living today without borrowing from tomorrow. I know the United Nations Brooklyn Commission created the first definition of sustainability, but it really means doing, living and doing our human endeavors without borrowing, taking, stealing from the future, without uh, trying to return back as much as we can and do everything we can with as little as possible. So, uh, I mean, if you look at all the, the, the ecosystems around the world, they're, they're falling apart. They're declining considerably. We're losing 200, uh, up to 200 species a day in some cases. And all this is just from the activity of man taking more than it replaces and using far more than it ever needs from the planet. So the whole idea behind sustainability is leave something for the future. Do it with as little as effort and materials and energy as possible. Yeah, and you're a, you're a, uh, it's because of you, uh, actually, that I read Cradle to Cradle. Yeah. Which is a, a terrific book um, about how we need to change our paradigm. Yeah, that's one of the cornerstones. I mean, the way we do everything is just de facto. It just happened, and nobody thought it through, and nobody thought... Is there a better way? Uh, or nobody thought about what are the consequences? So the idea behind Cradle to Cradle and the whole movement is to 
figure out the best way, the most greenest way, the, the, the least impact way to do all of the, the range of human endeavors. Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the author, McDonough? Uh, yeah, Bill McDonough. Bill right. McDonough, right. And um, I'm trying to think of the European guy he did it with. But I... Right, but, they, but, but, they, but as you say, they, they said, uh, let's stop making it haphazard. We've got to plan this. You've got to right. figure out how. When we make a product... It, the end of the product has to be in mind, uh, whether it, 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 it becomes something else or is used for something else, but the idea of throwing away just doesn't work anymore. That's right. Nature does everything in cycles. Everything loops back to itself. Human endeavors are almost all linear. They, it's just take, make, waste instead of take, make, and, and then create again. So the idea is take our linear processes and turn them into cycles and kind of recycle everything we do. You know, and the more I do the show, the more I'm, a, I'm aware of that because I don't know if you caught earlier, I was talking to Monica Eng from the Chicago Tribune about all the waste that's being produced by the Chicago public schools in their food program. Right. Um, that, we got to address that. This is, you know, the same thing. You, you, when you set up a program like that, and it would seem that at, at a school it would be even easier that with the to have the end product in mind, um, even even a, sc a school district as large as the Chicago public schools, but uh, I more and more I find everything's connected. That's right. We're all the and and in the case of Mila, you're looking at what goes on in people's landscapes uh, yeah. and in their yards. I mean, it's individual yards and corporate um, and institutional, um, and. Um, Let's let's. Um, what are some of the, um, the 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 seminars that are going to be at the conference a week from Thursday at Chicago Botanic Garden that you're most excited about? Well, we're, we're focusing on generally. There's five areas of sustainable sites initiative, though they've combined two together, and but we are not. We're, we're keeping them separate. It's it's vegetation, soil, water. Uh, materials and human and uh, human health and well-being. So those are really the, the four or five areas that uh, SSI is focusing on, and we're offering uh, talks and, and information on all of those areas uh, to, to just try to help get everybody in the mindset of trying to close the loop and get back to the cycles of nature. So. Well, well, let's talk about water for a second because that's that's a huge area. What? What are landscapers not doing now that they really should be doing in terms of water? And you know, I'm not pointing fingers, but I but you wouldn't be having this conference if everybody was doing it right and we were conserving water. So right. when you look at uh, typical landscape practices, what do you find distressing? Well, first of all, we just talk about lawns. The, the traditional turf grass, American turf grass lawn, first of all, is a foreign rug on steroids. It's a plant that doesn't really work well in our ecology. Uh, it just doesn't fit and work well. And its requirements, as we've bred turf grass through the years, is that it takes far more fertilizer and far more water than a normal native-based landscape would. So we're actually dumping fertility and, and moisture like crazy just to keep our lawns green and healthy and, and growing. And, and water can be broken down to a couple of different areas. First is what, are, what is our water source? And the easiest source is the cleanest, the most um, filtered and, and processed water we can get, and that's what's out of the tap. The landscape doesn't care. We've got rain falling. We've got wastewater coming out of the house. All of those are potential sources of water for the landscape, but we still choose the easy route and pick 
the, the cleanest, most easily accessible water, which happens to be most expensive and the most uh, detrimental in terms of recycling and, and, and effect on the environment. So changing our water sources, using rain, storing rain, rainwater as storing runoff water and recycling that back into the landscape, all those are options that we're moving toward um, all the time now. Uh, I, I notice also on the list of things you you have a seminar on selection uh, featuring Mark Moxley from uh, Lake Street Landscape Supply, yes. uh, who's been on the show before. Uh, I love their business. Um, w- uh, what about materials and choosing materials? How can uh, we contribute to sustainability in that regard? Well, you got to do your homework. You got to find out how materials are produced, where are they produced at, how are they shipped, uh, what are the consequences of carbon and, and greenhouse gases and energy production, and uh, it, it really requires doing your homework to, to find out what your material selection choices are, and therefore finding your way through that that maze to, to pick the best. The lowest impact materials for a landscape. But Garth, that's so hard. Uh, I don't want to spend the time. (laughs) That's why you need a third party to do that for you. And I think you're going to find third party certification, which is exactly what's happened with the lead system. That there's this, this enormous new industry has grown up overnight on green materials. People are doing the research. People are focusing on green materials and pushing green materials. And so you have a third party who will tell you which will rate materials, prorate them side by side, so you can see immediately which is the greener material, or the manufacturers are just pushing the greenest material that they can create at the time. So that's happening. So are we going to get to the point where... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna look at a, a flagstone of some kind, and it'll have a little symbol that it's either sustainable or it's a certain level of sustainability. Is that is that are we moving in that direction? Yeah, it, it very well have a rating system. Yes, it, 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 that's probably the direction it will go. Yes, that's that's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I'm looking. And again, if you want to find out all this information about uh, Mila's. Uh, eighth annual conference, uh, conference 2010, Our Future is in Your Hands, Sustainability in Action. Go to milaweb.org, www.milaweb.org, or go to my website, mikenovak.net. I've got uh, all of the links uh, uh, on this week's site, on this week's page. Um, and you got you got great people there. I noticed Roy Diblick. Yeah. Uh, he's going to talk about his no maintenance approach to to plants. Um, you've got uh, uh, Lynn Bement talking about the soil food web, and we can't really. And and I talk about soil food web on this show, and 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 I hope that the average person listening doesn't just go, huh? Um, they might. But what is the importance of the soil food web, in your opinion, Garth? Well, I think all of horticulture, all of green industry, has got to move back toward the original method, which is the organic method. That's the planet we live on, is an organic planet. And it's only been the last 100, 150 years we discovered chemistry, and we discovered that we can shortcut or think we can shortcut this organic cycle that everything is produced from. I mean, the food on our table is the most direct link we have to the environment around us. And we're on this petrochemical, agrochemical treadmill, and horticulture is one of the worst uh, culprits. So horticulture uses more uh, water, pesticides, and energy per, per area than any other form of agriculture. So horticulture, the segment of agriculture that produces our biggest class of materials for the landscape, is one of the worst offenders. So we're trying to uh, bring all that to light and move it right in the right direction. 
And I see that you guys are even, well, and that's one of the reasons I'm going, in addition to going to all the seminars. You're getting the big tour of the new Chicago Botanic Garden oh, plant, yeah. plant Science Center. How cool is that? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so there's another reason to uh, go to the conference. Um, well, Garth, um, I'm hoping that people who are in the business and people who are not in the business uh, will listen to this and say, you know what, I need to be there. I need, I need to do this because uh, Mila is changing uh, uh, the way the green industry does business one landscape at a time That's and right. I applaud you guys for it because uh, you've become very successful at it and, and it's uh, it's uh, and, and congratulations to you I'm glad you're president because you you have the vision you I've, I've known it since I first met you and I I'm glad that you uh, what's uh, what's the big uh, your big goal for the year when uh, as president of Mila well, we're trying to get some ground projects going, uh, some projects that demonstrate uh, the, the materials and methods of sustainable landscapes and how you can really do it. And, uh, I mean, I, we, we do a lot of talking. We do a lot of information dispersal. We do a lot of teaching. But we want to actually get out in the field, on the ground, and do it and have some real demonstration projects to show how it can be done right, how it can be done better. All right. And one more question before I let you go, because this one just popped in my head. And, and, and I'm sure folks listening um, are aware of this. Uh, the question they're going to ask is, yeah, I want to be green, but doesn't it cost more? Well, how do you respond to that? Well, what we're finding, it still costs maybe slightly more, but there's so much more savings in the back end of the process uh, that you get your money back. You really do get your money back overall. So uh, it, it does pay. If all the research is pointing to and it's shown across the board through the lead system. SSI is showing the same thing. Maintenance costs and uh, uh, operational costs are way down if you consider uh, a, a low-end uh, um, native green-type landscape versus a traditional landscape. So even if you if you're hiring a landscaper, and I know that the you know with tight budgets, it's been uh, tough uh, in the last couple of years, hasn't it, in the oh, industry? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, even considering that, uh, as God says, in the long run you save money. The problem is people look at the short run. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and you know, and that's human nature, isn't it? That's right. Uh, Garth Conrad, president of the Midwest Ecological Landscaping Association. Thank you so much. I will see you a week from Thursday at the conference, and I hope folks will go online again www.milaweb.org or go to my website mikenovak.net and get all the information. And uh, it's going to be a great time at Chicago Botanic Garden. Very good. Thank uh, you. Take care, Garth. All right. Bye-bye. This is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM. This is part of Soft Serve Sunday. And, uh, I mean, Self-Help Sunday. Um, Mighty House coming up at 10 o'clock with uh, Ron Cowgill and Joe Builder. Uh, and um, I don't know if they're going to be playing uh, ELO today, but uh, I welcome it. Uh, anytime uh, they want to do that is uh, is fine with me. Here's a tip from the Care of Trees. With money tight, you're going to hear landscapers say, and I just talked about that. All right, it's tight, and it's and and we're, who who gets hit hardest? Well, I can tell you, entertainers like me, the people in showbiz, <laughs> who get who get hit, and uh, landscapers, they, they they get hit. But with money tight, you're going to hear landscapers say, "Don't worry, I do tree care." Now, when they say that, here's what you ask them. Are you a trained, educated, and certified, and that's the operative word, certified tree professional? Because that's what you'll get with the care of trees.
Their staff includes registered consulting arborists, certified arborists, and certified tree workers. They are trained in up-to-date technologies and techniques and use safe work practices. They follow the most progressive standards and guidelines for tree care work. They are also bonded and insured to protect you and their workers. Can you say that about Joe the Landscaper? With nine locations, the Care of Trees has been serving Chicagoland for 60 years. Now, don't confuse Joe the Landscaper with Joe Builder. They're two very different people. Uh, anyway, the Care of Trees shares your enthusiasm for the many ways trees enhance the quality of your life. And the Care of Trees combines that joy with a dedication to the utmost in client care putting you and your trees first. Make the Care of Trees your permanent partner in enhancing the value of your landscape. Whether you want to make sure all is well with the trees in your yard, you're changing your landscaping, or you're moving, invite the certified arborists at the Care of Trees to take a look. See thecareoftrees.com or call 847-394-4220. 847-394-4220. Tell them you heard it on the Mike Novak Show. Tell them that Mike said... You're great. I should hire you to do my tree work. The Care of Trees, their business is people and their love for trees. DR Services Unlimited has been providing Chicago's North Shore with award-winning remodeling and design-build services since 1991, giving their clients top quality service and real value. They're on the cutting edge of green building technology, helping clients make their home more energy efficient without sacrificing beauty or function. If you want to make your home more energy efficient, simply want to add a room or renovate, call DR Services at 847-998-1687 or visit them at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. I want a girl with a mind like a diamond. I want a girl who knows what's best. I want a girl with shoes that cut and uh, eyes that burn like cigarettes. Who's fast and thorough and sharp as a tack? She's playing with her jewelry. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're discussing phone numbers back here because, uh, uh, did you, uh, you got them now? I think he, he, she does? Okay, we're cool. Great. Because uh, we're, we're, we're moving on here uh, to the Wildflower Preservation and Propagation Committee of McHenry County. Their 18th annual landscaping seminar called Tending the Earth. And uh, one of the people who's going to be part of that is on line two. Uh, and that is Lorraine Johnson. Hi, Lorraine. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I'm up here in uh, Toronto, Ontario. And 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 uh, when is the uh, when is Canada going to get its first gold? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I'm putting no bets on the Olympics right now. Oh, you're, you're, wait a second. I can I can uh, wait. Where's my little Olympic? Well, just bring the Olympic theme. Oh, that's 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 not where I want it. Let's do this part of it. If I go back to the beginning, there we go. And Canada has yet to get the gold. Uh, I won't rub it in. Yes, but we have some pretty fabulous singers, don't you think? I think that opening ceremony uh, was one of the best ever. Oh, that's nice to hear. That was probably the most creative use of stage technology 
that I have ever seen. I, w- I was completely blown away uh, by that. So um, congratulations on that. Uh, with the, uh, the exception of the thing at the end where they misfired, but yeah. Yeah, some technological But you know what? You, I love Canada. <laughs> I, what can you say about Canada? I love Canada. It is a great place. And. Uh, we have lots of amazing landscapes and plants and natural habitats and natural areas up here. It's a pretty great place. Uh, and uh, you have written about a lot of those plants and landscapes. Um, you uh, have done a, a couple of, well, not a couple of books. You've done a, a, a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and, including uh, Grow Wild. Uh, native plant gardening in Canada, and uh, you did this uh, uh, encyclopedia thing, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, a government kind of publication, isn't it? Uh, no, not really. It was uh, it was <clears throat> published by DK Dorlin Kindersley, and then I wrote a book called One Hundred Easy to Grow Native Plants, which uh, seems to be people one that people. Um, gravitate towards because it has it has a f- like one plant per page so there's a photograph of the ah. plant and a description of the plant how to grow it what grows well with it what kind of soil it needs so that's um 100 easy to grow native plants is uh, see now that's the one i didn't link to Okay. I got the of other course. ones up on my website. Of course, the one that you are proudest of, because I hadn't talked to you ahead of time, um, is the one I don't have up there. And and I know I got fooled by the other one because it said uh, the the garden plants and flowers, the A to Z guide. It says Federal Publications Inc. It's like, what's a federal publications yeah. ink? And it also has a little Canadian flag on the cover, so I can see that maybe you'd think it was government. It's not. <laughs> it was just the Canadian edition of a book that was published in England, so that's why. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, why are you called uh, a punk rock earth mother? <laughs> I know that was one of the uh, stranger uh, definitions. I, I, I co-wrote a book about composting with uh, with a garden writer here named Mark Cullen, and uh, on the cover they recreated that photograph of of the painting American Gothic yeah. with Mark standing there holding the pitchfork and me standing there in this kind of you know uh, old fashioned dressed, but. You know, I kind of have short, spiky hair, and, you know, I guess my, um, yeah, the whole, I'm not, you know, punk rock, that's very, uh, that's very retro now. It really is. I'm thinking that's very retro. That's the closest they could get, huh? Yeah. But that, so that description of me comes from the early 90s, and it was in response to that. But I think, you know, I guess I do feel like a, a rather unusual combination of, uh, very urban. I live downtown Toronto. I, you know, I love cities, but uh, nature is so important to me and restoring natural habitats. And I guess the whole punk rocker Earth Mother idea is bring those two things together, bring the urban environment and the natural environment together, make room for both in our daily lives. Well, you guys, you know, don't have to worry about that in Canada because it's all open spaces, but... <laughs> no! No, there's no big cities. No, there's no big cities in Canada, but that's cool. Uh, <laughs> As a Torontonian, I completely disagree. But I anyway, know that. No, no, I, I know understand. People think yeah. we have these uh, 
We do in the north, but in the southern part of Canada. It's just like us. Yeah. So there's <laughs> lots of room for improvement and making, you know, making space for nature in our in our cities. And I think Chicago has actually been a uh, um, one of the leaders in this regard, actually. Well, you're speaking at uh, the Wildflower Preservation and Propagation Committee uh, Landscaping Seminar, and, and, and I want a, a word to the WPPC. Can you come up with a shorter name somehow? It's like... <laughs> I can say WPPC, and then nobody knows what I'm talking about. And then if I read the whole thing out, it's like, yow. And that's all the time we have, folks. Um, but uh, Nancy Gantioric will uh, forgive me if I if I give her a little grief about that. So what do you intend to, what word do you intend to spread there, Lorraine Johnson? Well, I'm really looking forward to doing this uh, talk at the at the um, at the gathering. Because, That's uh, a good way of putting it. Just call it the gathering. I know. I was trying to think. You know, conference sounds so <laughs> formal, and um, I, I'm just I'm really looking forward to it because um, the talk I'm going to give, tending the earth, is all about the ways that what we do in our gardens and our landscapes and our yards connect with much bigger and broader um, issues. And so I'm, I'm looking at connections between our gardens and um, broader environmental issues, social issues, like the ways that we can create community through the gardens we make, the ways we connect with other people. So um, it, it's really a, a, a taking the garden out of the yard and into the world talk. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Well, I think I think given the times, that's what we really need to do. We don't need to retreat and into uh, uh, private spaces, although the garden is fantastic for that. You know, it's a place we go to get away from the world. I think what we need to do is engage with the world to try to make it better, and gardens are a really meaningful way to do that. Well, let's bring in a couple of other people who are speaking uh, at the conference, and on line one, I have Nancy Williamson. Hi, Nancy. Hi, how are you doing? Mike? Great, how are you? Good. And on line three, Ed Collins. How are you, Ed? Not bad, thanks. Good, thank you both. I thought you guys, are you in different, I thought you were going to be on the same number. What happened here? Uh, we have some sort of strange all circuits down up here, way up in, you know, like I said, we're almost in Wisconsin up here. So. Which is actually farther away than Canada. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, you know, that's the thing. When I get you people from from the Northlands, I I never know what's going to happen here. It's just uh, I'm just I'm I'm doing my best to connect you to the big city uh, the best I can. Uh, I know that uh, both uh, you, uh, Nancy and Ed, are uh, involved in uh, a talk called "Realizing a Dream: Hack Matack National Wildlife Refuge." Now, until Nancy Gonsiorg. Uh, who helps put this thing together, and she's a good friend of mine. Um, until she told me about this, I wasn't aware of what Hackmatack was. Which one of you wants to give me 25 words or less? I guess I'll try that one. Uh, Hackmatack is, uh, is an opportunity to bring a national wildlife refuge into the northeastern Illinois, southeastern Wisconsin region. And it's, uh, it's an organic process that's been percolating for about three or four years and is pro 
right now is finally starting to come to the top. Now, that was the thing that surprised me, and I hadn't really given it a whole lot of thought, but I didn't realize that we don't really have a national wildlife refuge area around here. What's, what's the closest one? Well, I think actually the closest one, I believe, is uh, on the Illinois River, at least to the Chicago area, um, and that is a good 140 miles away. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things that had been touted, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service thinks it's very important that we begin to connect refuges with urban areas. And since we're serving many millions of people in this area, we, we uh, you know, with, with, uh, you know, well, actually that, <laughs> um, the kind of need to have some sort of refuge in an urban area is glaringly absent in the Chicago area. And how hard is it going to be to, to make this happen, you've been working on it for some time, and, and does it does it involve uh, acquiring land at this point, or what are the what are the obstacles to this? Well, it, it's an interesting process, and certainly for uh, the citizens who have been involved in both Wisconsin and Illinois, it's been a learning process and a really interesting one over the past three or four years. There are several steps that have to happen, and long before an acre can become part of a national wildlife refuge. And we're in the stage right now where we're asking the Fish and Wildlife Service to conduct a feasibility study in our area to determine if a refuge would be a good would be good to be sited here, where would be the best place, all those types of things. And Acquisition of land is an important part of that, but uh, the modern National Wildlife Refuge System is a, a little bit different than the way it started as, out at the turn of the century. And the options for preserving land and having land be part of the National Wildlife Refuge is very different than just buying it. There are ways where private citizens can be part of it with their property, where existing natural land that's already protected can be part of the greater refuge. So the options are, are considerably larger than they were in 1903 when Teddy Roosevelt created the first National Wildlife Refuge. So you, you, you go to uh, public and private lands and you just get people, what, they sign an agreement about various ways they will manage their lands, is that it? That's one way to do it, and one of the, the samples or the examples we're using is how the Minnesota Valley National Wildlife Refuge works, and if you go to the National Wildlife Refuge website, they have a uh, a lot of information, but you can click on all the different uh, websites around around the uh, United States. What, what website uh, do I want to go to? You want to go to the, uh, the next uh, Fish and Wildlife web, website. Fish and Wildlife website? Yes. Okay, let's track that down, Heather. I'll get the that exact... Is, actually, it's www.fws.gov. S-W-S.gov. Okay, right. as in Fish and Wild. Right. Which is Fish and Wildlife Service. From Fall Wildlife Service. Yes, and from that portal, and you can also get to it. We have links with ours, and our our website is www.hackmatacknwr.org, and that's H-A-C-K-M-A-T-A-C-K-N-W-R. Well, actually, uh, that one I got. That's on my website. Okay. I've already got that posted. I just oh, I, I need okay. to put the uh, the wildlife uh, up uh, up there. Um, so it, one one of the ways that that refuge in the Minnesota Valley works is that there is a boundary 
for the refuge. And within that refuge, you have lands that are privately owned that there is no public access to, but it provides a linkage for the wildlife. For instance, there's farmland in there. Uh, there's a business in there that actually manages its land in conjunction with the Fish and Wildlife Service. There are local parks that are, uh, I'm not sure if Minnesota has townships, but similar to township parks from, from Illinois, um, or our type of parks. There are uh, the Minnesota uh, DNR holdings, so it's a, it's a kind of a patchwork of many types of holdings, and that's what we're looking for with um, uh, forming Hecatac, looking at already existing public lands within the area, and and that area is roughly from what we call Glacial Park down in Illinois up to Bloomfield, the Bloomfield areas that are owned by the Wisconsin DNR, and it, it would be a patchwork, and those people who belong to it would be people who willingly want to work with the Fish and Wildlife Service. And uh, are you approaching properties, or can people volunteer to do that? Well, I think that... uh, And by the way, I love the fact that you guys are alternating answers. It's saving me a lot of trouble here. (laughs) (laughs) But just keep going. Yeah, we're not on the same phone, but we're in the same room. Oh, you're looking at each other. There you go. It's it's your turn, Ed. (laughs) Yeah. at some point, I'm sure that interested folks uh, or property owners could could certainly become part of this, and, and that is part of the dream. It's looking at preserving land in a different way than we've traditionally done it. But that step is, is in the future, and right now we're at the stage of a feasibility study. In some ways, when we call this a dream, I think it's a continuation of a dream that has really come to fruition in the, in the Chicagoland land southeastern Wisconsin area over the past hundred or so years. When you take a look at the amount of public open space that's been set aside around major metropolitan areas like Milwaukee and Chicago, and you start to look at that acreage that's been protected through forest preserve systems, through conservation districts, county parks, through the the state DNRs in in both of the states, you come to realize that there's there's really not much like it anywhere else in the country. You have these rings of protected land that total in the hundreds of thousands of acres, and much of that, the forest preserve system uh, idea came out of out of this part of the country. There's an, a national lakeshore here at Indiana Dunes. Uh, there's a consortium of, of over 200 different organizations that are interested in, in particular aspects of the environment that have come together to form the Chicago Wilderness Consortium. So there's this long, long history of conservation in the region. And this would be one more step forward, which uh, I applaud, and I, I think it's a great idea, and I think we're going to have to talk about this more in the future. Uh, the Natural Landscaping Seminar, Saturday, February 27th, 8 a.m. to 3.45 a.m., um, and you get to uh, hear the, the let's, let's go back to this, the Earth Mother, what the... <laughs> The not so not so earthy uh, earth uh, punky uh, whatever 
Uh, I'm sorry, Lorraine Johnson. Uh, but she's going to be speaking on uh, uh, native plants and flowers. Uh, you can hear about Hackmatack more and, and how uh, uh, we will be able to put it together. And it's uh, the price is reasonable. It's at McHenry County College Conference Center on Highway 14 in Crystal Lake. And thank you all for being on the program. I appreciate it. And uh, have fun. Thanks a lot. Our pleasure. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The January-February edition of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is out on the newsstands, and I've got the inside scoop on why you should pick up a copy. This is the Get Ready for the Gardening Year edition, which means, well, it means there are stories on how to interpret what's on a seed packet, how to set up grow lights for when those packets arrive and you start raising your little babies. Speaking of seeds, if you're planning to grow tomatoes this year, and who isn't, there's a guide to open pollinated heirloom varieties. And if you want to be the first on your block to have the latest and greatest varieties, Ball Horticultural's Jim Now presents his must-have list. This is the garden magazine for our region, which means Chicago. You can find Chicagoland Gardening Magazine in your local store or garden center. More than 800 new newsstand locations have been added in the last couple of months, but you know what? Get yourself a subscription. How do you do that? Go to chicagolandgardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. And uh, if you want, you can even read my column in it. And I hope you do. Now, if you plan to start to grow vegetables this spring and summer, you should do it from seed. Go to SIDS. They got everything you need. You know, it's going to save you money in the long run. You can start working on it now. It gives you something to do. Um, and it gives you a sense of accomplishment, really, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, go to SIDS Greenhouses and Garden Center. You, their shipment of flower and vegetable seed packets is in. They have the largest selection of seeds in their history. And uh, if you didn't get around to the catalogs this year, well, just walk into SIDS. They have everything you need. They have a certified organic seeds. And you know the popular varieties go fast, so visit SIDS early for the best selection, along with expert advice and seed starting supplies. SIDS, Chicagoland's premier garden centers, are located in Palos Hills on Southwest Highway and in Bolingbrook, on Naper Plainfield Road at Hazard Boulevard, they got their big spring thing coming up, uh, the beginning of March, and I'm I'm planning to be part of it. I need to talk to them about that. All right, next week, Heather, you're in charge. I am in charge. Treat Beth Bot nights. No, Beth Bots. Beth Bots is going to be hosting the show next week. I'm out of here for a little time. I'll be back in two weeks. Um, Heather's running the show, so call in. Be nice to uh, Beth. Oh, uh, one more week to see Verbatim Verboten. I plan on being there Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Mm -hmm. It's the last hamburger mayor. Andersonville. I hope you can come. 7 o'clock. It's our final week, and I hope you can show up and uh, watch us. I do a Dean Richards impersonation, actually, and I don't even wear a bald cap. Uh, and uh, what we got? Mighty House. It's coming up next on Self Help Sunday. I hope you tune in next week for the Mike Novak Show. This is Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM.